Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. If you've ever been on a short-term missions trip, that's not the kind of trip you probably <laughs> recognize. Um, but I'll tell you, it was the perfect trip for this generation of youth. I could not be more proud of our students and the way they conducted themselves while we were there. And I, I don't know about you guys, but for me already, it's been that kind of morning where I've had some triggering moments and annoyances, and then I discouraged others by triggering them and annoying them. And I think there's been a lot of uh, spiritual warfare already this morning. Uh, even silly things like red lights. Just, I feel like whenever I see that as a pattern, I've learned to sense that God may be up to something, and he's trying to get me and many other people distracted. Have you had a morning like that where your whole heart and your mind were deflected into other directions, or you're sitting here hardly able to engage because your heart and your mind is someplace else. I'm going to ask you just to pause for a moment and ask God to show up in your life right now and to bring you back to here, to this place, to this moment, what he's doing. Today we're going to hear from four students who are going to share briefly their story of what they're bringing home from Albania. And as you saw in the video, these kids stretched a lot. I mean, it was not a comfortable trip. It was a fun trip, but it was not a comfortable trip. And uh, I wanted to invite Charlotte and Zach and Zoe and Leon to come and share something that we call spiritual souvenirs, a conviction or a lesson that they're carrying home with them. And so please give them your full attention as you share. Hi, I'm Charlotte. Even though our group went there to help and spread the word of God, I think God really used this trip and this opportunity to use Albanians to open my eyes and help me also. I became really close with the girl at the camp. Her name is Arcela, and actually many people on her team became really close with her. She told me when she chose to be Christian and go to God, a lot of her friends, even her best friend, left her because they were Muslim. But she didn't care. She said she didn't care because she knew all she needed was God and that God was looking over her. Her story just really humbled me and inspired me to be more like her. She didn't care that everyone she was surrounded by believed in another religion. She still chose God, and she isn't afraid to show that she's a Christian either. I was reminded that I needed to be more like her and to not be afraid to express that I follow God. Hi, my name is Zach. When I initially decided to be part of the Albania team, I was excited to visit another country to do God's work. As the time to leave got closer and closer, I became more and more anxious because I'm more shy around new people and I didn't know what the Albanians would be like. On the first day of camp, all my worries went away. The Albanians showed me love and treated me like family even though I was a complete stranger to them. I would play card games, play in the pool, and have conversations with Albanians. While I was with them, everything felt normal as if we had met each other before. At certain times, I would forget that I was in a different country altogether. During this mission trip, God reminded me that I don't have to fear anything because he was always walking by my side. I am Zoe. Um, this trip was a great experience for me as I was truly reminded of God's provision and divine timing. I walked into this trip with a lot of anxiety because I wasn't sure how our team would do with such little preparation. I often felt like it was my responsibility to carry a lot of the weight of planning since I had more experience and having gone the year before. However, when the time came to plan an event for the camp, I felt God prompt me to take a step back and let him take control. He used each team member in their own way and the night was a great success. There were countless blessings and both our team and the Albanians' lives were touched. This really revealed to me that even when I feel like I've lost control, God's plan is always so much better. Hi, my name is Leon, and this is my first time really out of the country, so it's definitely a very new but eye-opening experience. And one of the first things that I noticed was that everyone there is very prideful about their countries, and they would all show us clips of their national soccer team winning, and they were all very proud to be Albanian. And another thing was that they're all very high-spirited and joyful, and it was just a pleasure to be around them, and you feel like they really just bring you into their family. 
But as the trip went on and we got to know them closer, you learn a lot about the difficulties and turmoil in their life. And for me, it was just, um, it was very difficult to hear all the different problems they went through, even though they were the same age as me. So one of the, the big things that stood out to me was that even in the face of all this turmoil and all this chaos, they were still a lot happier than I was and a lot happier than most of us are here. I remember we went to the capital city and we saw two boys playing soccer. They're about eight and 10, except they were playing soccer with plastic water bottles and they were barefoot and they looked like they were living on the streets. Even though um, they basically had nothing, they were so happy just kicking a water bottle through our legs for 10 minutes. And that was really eye-opening to me because I realized that there are many things that I take for granted here and so many opportunities that they could only dream to have, and yet they still remain so positive and so um, hopeful about their whole experience. Although many of them probably don't realize it, their enthusiastic and appreciative attitude was very inspiring, and I felt I ended up learning more from them than I went there to teach. Thank you. Emily Yoon also was a part of the Harvest Contingent for our team. She's traveling this weekend, so could not be here. But I just want to acknowledge again, these students made us really, really proud. And they did an amazing job. You guys stretched way out of your comfort zones. I don't know if that video makes you want to come next year or makes you say, I'm never going there. But, um, you know, when I was younger, I loved dancing. Not so much in my older age. It's a lot of dancing. But it's so great to see the way God uses even that time to knit our hearts together with them. I'll share a little more about the trip when I speak. Um, but I just want to ask you to bow with me and just pray for the team that went, that God would continue to work in their lives through what he did there. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to our next generation. Thank you for the way that you use them to reveal yourself to the Albanian folks. We thank you for those who gave their lives to Christ through this camp and how their eternity has been changed and what a privilege it was for us to play even a small part in that. We pray for our students, especially as they return to the normalcy of life and the closing of summer. As they return to their schools, we pray that the lessons learned on this trip and the convictions and spiritual souvenirs they've carried home would bear fruit as they serve as light to their school, their neighborhood, their friend groups, and their families. That you would continue to deepen their rootedness and their faith in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's thank them again for sharing. You guys can have a seat, folks. So the Rhode Island team just came, came back. They're going to be sharing next Sunday about their experience and all the things that God did there. Um, the day after tomorrow, we're sending another team back out to Albania, this time to, to reach out to young adults. And by young adults, we mean people in their 20s up to their 30s. And it's going to be a little bit of a different trip, I think a little bit more um, conversational. <laughs> I'm hoping, but we're also bringing a smaller team. We brought a team of 15 for the youth camp, and there were about 25 campers. This time we're going to bring eight adults, and we're going to be serving 30 campers. So it's going to be relationally a little bit more taxing. It's funny, as we were saying goodbye to the, um, to the folks after the youth camp, everyone was giving these tear-filled goodbyes, like, oh, I'll see you maybe next year. They're looking at me like, see you in, in a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm going back. And I'm excited about it. We're really becoming friends with the team out there. And we've, I just, in all the years of doing missions, I think I've never worked with such solid partners as this year through Rhode Island and through Albania. I'm just astounded at the quality and depth of the folks we get to partner with in those two fields. I'm going to invite the adult team who's going to be leaving on Tuesday to come on up. And... It's cool because Gary went with us for the um, youth team. He's coming back with the adult team. And then Leon went with us for the youth team. And 
His brother Kevin, who I told them already, is a big dude. If you thought Leon was tall, wait till you meet Kevin. He's a big guy. And then Charlotte went with us on the youth team, and now we're bringing Charlotte's mom, Katie. So it's, it's going to be kind of fun for the Albania folks to see the, the, the relationships. Uh, I'm going to ask if, Pastor, uh, if Elder Ed, theologically same thing, would come and commission this team as we prepare to go. Thank you. Please uh, bow your heads in prayer with me as we lift up this team. Dear God, we are so grateful for our brothers and sisters here on the stage as they are taking a leap of faith and going with you to uh, serve uh, the church and the team in Albania. God, thank you so much for Pastor Tony Minnelli and his partners, uh, the other pastors and the other leaders who have made such a remarkable impact in that country. God, in one generation, they went from being an atheist country where religion was outlawed and there was barely a speck of your word um, to a thriving church, God, one that is reaching out. And thank you so much, God, that the people, whether the youth or the young adults, are open, God, to hearing about your gospel and your word. And so, God, I pray that as this team goes, that they would carry your blessing, your good news, the declaration that there is a king and he is good and you love us so, so very much, God, that you gave your precious son for us and help them bring the gospel in simple yet profound ways through their own lives and their actions. God, may their love for one another be evident. God, may even through hard times during this trip, may they support one another, may they pray for one another, may they be be there for one another so that even from the outside people could see that we are truly Christians because of the love we have for one another and that only comes from you. And finally, God, we pray that they would be able to love uh, their friends, the Albanians, with extravagant love, just like you showed us. God, help them to go to any extent to show and demonstrate that you care. And may those actions turn into words as well that would go deep into the hearts of the people that they serve. And God, we do pray that everlasting fruit would come because of their work, because of their actions, because of their love, because of their words, and that these young people would be plugged into the churches that uh, Pastor Minnelli has already planted and he and his team and the brothers and sisters we have in Christ in Albania will shepherd these young people into your kingdom. God, we pray with conviction and confidence that you will go with them because there's no surer hands that we could commit them to than yours. So we are grateful for this opportunity and pray that you would protect them along the way with every bit of omnipotence, guidance, and support that you can give through your Holy Spirit. And so in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you guys sit down, I just want to make sure I... Don't be such a rush, Audrey. I just want to introduce the full team. That's John and his fiancée, Audrey. Of course, Katie. Kevin, who now lives in the Bay Area and flew in last night. Our own Gary. Hannah. And her boo, Michael. (laughs) And Hannah goes to a church in the city, uh, works as a consultant in the city. And Michael now lives in Georgia and is preparing for medical school. So please continue to hold us in prayer. We leave Tuesday, and we'll come back August 2nd. Please pray for us. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Thanks. You know, without missions... I don't think I would be in ministry today. It's what God used to draw me into a life of serving him. If he had shown me 30 years ago what I'm doing for a living today, I would have run for the hills. It's not what I wanted. I didn't want to be stuck in the same city where I grew up for my whole life and taking care of one church. I'm an Enneagram 7, and I think I have undiagnosed ADHD, and I love starting things and not finishing them. And so God used missions and the, uh, the, the draw to the great adventure of serving him abroad. And he called me to ministry, and then he called me to stay put. But missions has always been a big part of why I decided to say yes to Jesus in this way. 
And so I'm thrilled that this year we get to resume missions work beyond our community to the nation and to the nations. It's very clear from Scripture that we're called to do this work at every level of physical proximity. And in the book of Acts, it tells us clearly through Jesus' own words that we are meant to be his witnesses right where we are and then in our region, and then to the ends of the earth. And we should never pit those things against each other because our infinite God doesn't only care about one place. He cares about all places. He is everywhere. And he calls us to be present and obedient everywhere he sends us and everywhere he leads us to go. And I realize if you grow up or attend church for a little while, you hear the word missions a lot, but I don't know if anyone's ever defined it. So I just want... Uh, for those of you especially who are new to church world, I want you to know what we mean when we say the word missions. It's just a word we use to describe any intentional activity where we're carrying the love and the truth, the good news about Jesus to other people. And we sometimes do that through the proclamation of our words, but very often we also do that through the, the loving acts of kindness and service which help people feel what God is like in their lives. We can do missions all over the world, and we can do missions right here where we live. You could do missions to your next-door neighbor, and you could do missions on the other side of the earth. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 to 20, that I want to take a look at. And I'm not going to speak on this, but I just want you to see how, how good of a, a summary this is of what we call missions work. For God was, in Christ... Reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We do missions because our God is a missionary God. And he's a missionary God in that though an impossibly great gap separated us from him, he closed that gap. He came across to where we were stuck, where we were forced to live, and he brought his presence where we were. Through acts of love and power, through words of truth, he opened up a path for us to be reconciled to God, and he calls each of us to do the same thing with our whole lives. Very often in the church, when we talk about missions, it's the whole church sending a portion of our body out somewhere. And even when we do local missions, it feels very much the same way. But I want each time we talk about this, for it to serve as a reminder that there's not one person in this room God has not called to be on mission with him right where we live and wherever else he happens to send us. If you live right here and God sends you on a business trip to Germany, you are his salt and light there. You're a missionary on business for the living Christ. There isn't one of us exempt from this calling in this room. And I want to make sure that we all accept and acknowledge that fact that every Christian is called to bear the love and the truth of Jesus wherever we go, especially where we live, and then wherever he takes us. This year on the Albania trip, for the youth team anyway, Pastor Peter Cho from ICC did an amazing job of leading the team. We had a, a team of five adult leaders, and the kids themselves, the students, did an awesome job. So I was freed up with a very undefined role other than to think high-level strategy with our partners and to do a lot of observation. So I got to enjoy doing that. I walked around the camp, and I was just watching video recording and journaling and I was seeing God at work in some really important ways. And I want to share with you some lessons that I learned just watching our team and God at work in Albania. I want to share three things that I found are so powerful in Christian life. I don't have a confidence monitor, so I'm going to just trust that if I'm off with the, uh, the slides, you guys will fix it back there for me. All right. The power of initiation. I learned this watching our team. Listen to this. We brought a, a team of 15 people to Albania for what you can clearly see is a very highly relational, you can't sit on the side and stare at people. Like this is, you got to get in there and actually be in there, rub shoulders with people. And we brought a team of 13 introverts 
and two extroverts on this team. Zoe and I were the only two extroverts on the whole team, 13 introverts. Think about that for a second on a a trip like this, how challenging that is. How many stretching moments there were going to be. And that was one of our great causes of, of concern and worries. Are, are the introverts going to be like completely dismantled by this? They, are, they can do it, but it leaves introverts just beat at the end of the day. It's so energy draining. So we worried about it, but we watched these students one after another just blossom as they came into this ready to be stretched. Even for an extrovert, though, I have to say the start of camp was like the first day of high school. It was a little bit awkward. You know, we got there a day ahead, and we're prepping things, and then the campers on the bus started to arrive. And that first meal, that first dinner together at the start of camp was very much, it emotionally reminded me of the first day of high school. You see little clusters sitting at the table staring at us, and It was hard to figure out who was the host and who was the guest because we had crossed the ocean to come to their country. This was their home, and yet they had traveled to another city from where they lived about two and a half hours on a bus to come to a camp that we were running. It didn't help that they were coming to to participate in an English conversation camp with a team from America, and then they saw us. (laughs) And we had Gary who looked the way most people overseas expect Americans look, and then there were 14 Asian people. So I think they were a little thrown off, like, did I come to Chinese camp? What? They, they weren't sure what was going on, so it was a little bit uncomfortable. And we were told, don't sit with our team members, don't cluster together, even though that would be comfortable. Go and scatter among the Albanian campers. And so you, you, have, you, have, you enter the dining hall, and you're just looking around, and they're just staring back at you in silence. They're complete strangers, and you got to commit to a table and just sit down. And it's really awkward at first because there are introverts in Albania, too. <laughs> and they are just as uncomfortable as we are. They're not sure what to expect. They're not confident about their language skills. And so you just stare at each other a lot at first. And then somebody makes the first move. Somebody breaks the ice, and they decide to ask a question or say a greeting. And little by little, it was such a comfort to me, I heard the volume in the room slowly start to go up until about 15 minutes into that first meal. It was loud. You could hear laughter. And in each one of those cases, in a table that started with awkward silence, someone had to stretch out of their comfort to carry a conversation, to initiate something, and that wasn't easy. And I'm going to tell you, there's a cost to initiating, even if it comes naturally to you. Even if you're an extrovert, there is a cost every time we initiate movement. It's a physical law of the universe that you don't get any movement without the expenditure of energy. Nothing just happens. There's no drifting into greatness. Everything we do that's worth doing fights against gravity and requires an investment of effort. If you've ever led a small group and asked a discussion question, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You would think this is the eternal living word of God. We are born again, saved by grace, so thankful for our salvation. Surely all I got to do is drop this question, and everyone's going to be like, wah! And then you ask the question, everyone's just like... And it's no different when pastors get together at conferences, and we have breakout sessions. I'm like, this is why God gave us the church, to teach us how we are. It's so easy to be passive. It's so easy to wait for someone else to do something. I've always loved this, and I think I've shared with you this verse and this translation like 30 times now from this pulpit. It's one of my favorite translations of an important verse of Scripture. Eugene Peterson, who has now passed away, was a longtime pastor who... Everyone tried to make rich and famous, and he refused. He decided instead to stay in a small country church and be a faithful minister till the day he died. Even though guys like Bono flew out to his house to meet him, he refused to give in to the lure of celebrity. And he translated the whole Bible in vernacular English, just common English, um, as a gift to his generation to say, this is what God is really trying to say to us. It's not a technical translation. It is a paraphrase of the Bible from a pastor's heart. So I don't read it for serious study, but I read it just to get 
invite God to move my heart. That book is called The Message, and it is his personal paraphrase of the entire Bible. And he translates John 1.14 this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that because neighborhoods are where people live. It's where they're stuck sometimes. It's where they can't seem to escape. It's where their whole lives take place. And we couldn't go anywhere else. But the God of the universe became one of us, came to where we live, and he moved into our neighborhood. That's exactly what we've just done as a church for Hoffman Estates. And I think about that, the amount of energy expended in saying we have a building. Stan needs a sabbatical way before he's due one. I'm next in line for a sabbatical. You're supposed to only get one every seven years, but I think Stan needs one. Because to say something that simple, like we moved into the neighborhood, came at a tremendous cost against a lot of resistance. That's the way it is when we initiate and we close gaps and we cross bridges to places where it's not easy to get. We, we theologians call this the incarnation of Jesus, his becoming flesh and blood and moving across the gap to us because he made the first move. That's what we celebrate in the incarnation, is that our God did not fold his arms like a god in the volcano and said, throw enough virgins, I might give you some rain. That's not the God that we follow. Our God looks at us, and when we can't get to him, he comes to us. Parents, when you're teaching your kids to walk, did they do it right the first time? Do you remember what that looked like? Right? And you're like holding out a popsicle or something trying to lure them. And when they didn't make it, did you just walk out of them like, you're, you're never going to go anywhere in life? Of course you don't. When your kid is helpless, you go to them. When they can't reach you, what do you do if you have a mother or father's heart? You go there. That is the heart of our God to us. And it's something he's modeling for our benefit. Because the easiest thing in the world is to stay right where you are and go, what? I, this is where I am. I'm not going to move. Initiating always has a cost. But when we do it, amazing things start to happen. Taking initiative... Getting things started is a gift of grace that we offer to the people we care about. When someone invites you to a party, how many of you look forward to, maybe I'll be the first guest? Anyone? If you're there way too early, I, I, I think Gary likes being first. He, he's always early to everything. I don't like it that much. Because it's, even though I'm an extrovert, it's costly to be there and no one else is there. And so they're like, you get the mood going. You, you set the energy level. You greet people as they come. Like, no, I want to get to the party after it's already kicking. So I can just be like, yeah. I don't want to create the party. I want to join the party. And I'm an extrovert. I might be a lazy extrovert, but I'm still, I realize it takes energy to get the thing going. So easy to be passive. Maybe it's inviting someone new from the church that you don't know very well to be a guest at your house. Maybe it's starting a meal train for someone who's not doing well. Maybe it's just being in your small group, and when the leader asks a question, you're not just like, I'll be the third person to talk, but you just go for it. Lean into that moment. Help this person out. Maybe it's just realizing your friend group is drifting apart, and so you organize the get-together. Here's one thing I've observed. We at Harvest are an amazingly responsive church. We do such a good job of participating and responding. When we put out the call for anything, you guys show up. Over and over and over again, I can, I can count on it. But I just want to remind you that there's tremendous power in initiating as well as responding. And maybe you don't see yourself as an initiator. But could it be that through this word right now this morning, and you may know exactly what I'm talking about, God is nudging your heart to initiate something, even though you've never really seen yourself as the kind of person who gets things started. This year, at American Night, and by the way, in Albania, every night is Albania Night because it's just dancing. But 
On American night, usually what happens is we do a little cultural exchange and then the Albanians take over and get us dancing. This year, though, our students got it kicked off. And I was so surprised at the ones who dove right into the middle of the thing and got it going. They were the introverted ones. They were the ones who typically would sit on the side and be quiet, and they just jumped in. And because they did that, the Albanians and even the the hotel staff were like, we've watched dozens of these things happen. This was the most unbelievable American night we have ever witnessed. It was so good that the the hotel staff were dancing with us and getting into it. And it all began with a couple students who would never do this here, but they decided God is stretching them. And already as they've returned home, there's been a difference. God is pulling them out of something. What is it that God might be calling you to initiate? Because sometimes the people who are the most astute at seeing what's happening are the most hesitant to do something about it. There are people in this room who I know have such a keen eye, a good read on what's going on. Our friend group is dissolving. Our family's not doing well. Our small group needs a jolt of something. You're good at knowing exactly what's going on. And if you are that way, God may be showing that to you, not so you could tell someone else to do something about it, but because he may be asking you to initiate what needs to happen next. I'm not that good at knowing what's going on. If I hadn't married Jeannie, I wouldn't know half of what was. She's like, Dave, are, we're not sitting together as a family enough. I'm like, oh, yeah. Now that you mentioned it, you're right. I get so absorbed in what I've got going on, I sometimes don't come up for air and realize what's happening around me. I depend on the people around me who see what's happening. But maybe if you're one of those people who God's given such a keen eye as to what's going on with my group, with my neighborhood, with my family, He's also calling you not to tell someone else to do something, but to get it going and take a step of faith and watch as other people follow where you're leading. I learned another great lesson while watching our team in Albania. It's the power of inclusion. One of the most beautiful aspects of Albanian culture is their spirit of inclusion. It's so heightened, it's like this. Let's say I'm, spe- I'm having a conversation with Ed, and we're standing right in front of each other like happens in the fellowship time, and I notice there's another conversation happening behind me. I'm not part of that conversation. They're not part of mine. They just happen to be having their own conversation in my proximity. In Albanian culture, it's rude for me and Ed to keep talking while my back is turned to that other group. So even if I have no intent in joining their conversation or inviting them into mine, the Albanians will turn this way just so that it doesn't feel like I'm cutting you out of this. But it's here. We're just having a conversation next to you. If you want to break in, feel free. If I'm laughing, you think something's funny, you can look over at me and I'll explain to you why that was funny. It's a way of opening your whole life up to other people. So it's not so much like this has nothing to do with you. It's our thing. Stay out of it. That was so refreshing to me because I come from a culture like you do where boundaries are so hyper-defined. We have so much anxiety about people we don't know. We walk into every place needing to know where am I, what am I doing, who are my people, what's my mission, and anything outside of that we don't really do very well with in America. I think that some of us, if if we came home from work and a stranger was sitting on the couch in the living room, we'd be like, Honey, who's that person in our living room? Isn't that kind of insane? Like, you wouldn't just go, Hi, this is my house. Who are you? Welcome to my home. We'd just be like, Stranger in my house. (laughs) Honey, who is that person? I really love this aspect of Albanian culture, that there's just this open arm, open heart. Come in. Join us. Sometimes... I'd look, and I, I pretty much knew, I have, I'm terrible with names, but I'm great with faces. And sometimes in the middle of our devotional service in the mornings at the camp, I'd look, and there'd be people I don't recognize just sitting on the chairs or at the tables listening in. Sometimes, it especially happened last year, when when the height of the dancing, I'd look, and there was like five or six people who I don't recognize dancing with us. 
Sometimes there's people sitting at the tables having conversation. They're not part of the camp. So I asked Pastor Tony, who are those people? And he's like, I don't know. And he would, he would find out later, oh, they're just other guests at the hotel who saw something happen. They're like, what's this? And they just joined in. And the amazing thing to me was that there was no one who had any issue with that on either side of the equation. We were playing loud music with a DJ until 12 at night at a hotel outside of rooms where other paying guests were paying full price to stay there for their vacation. We were singing Christian songs with the guitar over an amplifier and preaching and giving testimonies while other people were trying to relax by the pool. Nobody had a problem with any of this. In fact, if they wanted to join us, they could. And if they wanted to dance, they could. Last year, we made s'mores. It was a huge sacrifice because it was so messy, so energy-consuming. And we had a long line of hotel guests who had nothing to do with the camp. <laughs> we're like, why are you people so hungry? We're trying to give some to our campers and all these other... And nobody had any issue with it. And there's something so beautiful and appealing to me about that. I think we have the capacity for that here at Harvest. We may be Americans, but you are one of the most loving, warm-hearted churches I have ever had any contact with. I want that to be our culture here, too. Even if it can't be American culture, I so desperately want it to be harvest culture. I love what Paul says near the end of his letter to the Romans. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's so much wrapped up in that word welcome. It is a posture. It's not a word. It's not a greeting. It is a way of opening your whole life to say to people, whatever I've got going on, if you want to be a part of it, I want that. And whatever you got going on, if I could be a part of it, I want that. This begins with family. It begins with the people who are closest to us, and we learn how to be welcoming Ironically, with the people we are actually closest with. And as we learn to welcome into our lives the people we actually live with, God will shape and reshape our hearts so that we will include others in that spirit of home and family and belonging. And that's not easy to hear because for some of us, our greatest pain point is the family that we live in. It's the source of some of our greatest disappointments. And yet, if we will learn to be people of welcome right where we live, I believe God will expand the joy of our home life, our family, to include many other people. Eugene Peterson does it again with his translation of this verse. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it. Now you do it. I love this man. One of my great sorrows that I missed all the opportunities I had to meet him in person before he passed. But his books have been such a blessing to me. Think about this, guys. Apart from your immediate family, and really including them too, every single person you know was once a stranger. Either they welcomed you in, or you welcomed them in. You did not get born knowing anybody We've had four children, and here's the fascinating thing. We made them, but we get to know them. And as we get to know them, we're like, oh, you're awesome, or you're messed up. Or, you're... But we're, we get to know them. Like, they have personality. Even though we brought them into the world, we have to meet them. We have to welcome them. You don't just know your kids because you made them. You don't just know your siblings because you were born out of the same parents. Do you know how many siblings don't have any relationship? Because they just don't take any energy to welcome one another into their lives. You don't know people just because you're proximal to them. You know people because you open your arms and you open your heart and you have deep conversations and you sacrifice and share and you make the effort to form a relationship. Don't for a minute think because people have your genetic material, they belong to you or they know you or you know them. Don't believe for a second that because you live in the house next door to someone else for 30 years, you have any idea who they really are or what they're going through. Welcome is the way that strangers become friends. In Albanian dancing, as you saw in the video, 
they dance in a circle. One person has a white or red cloth. It's like a, like a tissue or a hanky. And that's the leader. They set the pace and they, they create the moves. And then it's like a, a chain reaction. As they change the moves, everyone in the chain follows. And they always dance by joining hands in a circle and spinning around. So it's like aerobics. You sweat so much in Albania. I was taking three showers a day because of this stuff, okay? And the thing is, when, you, when your dancing involves a closed circle of joined hands, we Americans are like, how do you join that? I mean, that's already, they're together, they're going. And so we stand on the outside, watch it. And then I watch the Albanians, and here's what they do. And there are times when I, I kind of suspected, oh, that person and that person, they're making googly eyes. They, I think that's why they're holding hands dancing. And then here comes another Albanian, just jumps right in the circle, and they crack the hands open, and they just get right between the two people, and they just keep dancing without missing a beat. And you would think that those two people are like, yo, we were dancing here. No, they smile, and they're so happy that someone else has broken into the chain. What will be called rude here is so welcome there. I love that. There used to be that tradition here in the States, right? May I cut in? Never do that now. You get, you get shot. What other, the other thing I saw that was so beautiful was when you're on the outside just watching the dance, like this. This is me half the time. And then they would see that, and they would break the circle and grab my hands and go, come on. And they would pull me in. I'm like, I guess I'm dancing. It's a little bit annoying at first because you're like, I'll dance when I'm ready. It's like, no, you'll dance when we want you to dance with us. And it was a little bit annoying until it wasn't. And then I realized I want life to be like this. I want to be able to break into what looks like a closed group and be welcomed in. And I don't want anyone around me ever to feel like they have to be on the outside looking in to the rest of us. I don't ever want anyone to feel that. And there's something wicked in our human spirit that says, when I'm on the inside, I love it. I don't want anyone else to have this. Don't break in. Don't steal anything from me. This is my stuff, my group, my tribe. Don't. There's no room for you. I want that part of us to die. For there to be in this church a spirit of welcome given to us by the God who welcomed us. That's how he gets glory. I pray that in our church, nobody has to stay a stranger for very long. I don't know if you're noticing harvest, but if you're a longtime harvester, look around the room and look around the building after service is done. A lot of new faces and more every single week popping in. These are not strangers or intruders. They are new friends. And it is our privilege to welcome them into a family that has thrived and given life to us for 30 years. This is our joy. Please ask the Lord to give you more and more a growing spirit of welcome. I'm going to wrap up with one last lesson that I learned that I think, and this is not me just telling you what I learned. Obviously, you can see. I'm hoping that by us sending a team and bringing these lessons home, they could be our lessons together things that we grow in. That's the power of intimacy. Don't get this the wrong way. It's the relational intimacy of brothers and sisters. I want to close with the story of the first person I met when I got to this camp. It's the girl that Charlotte talked about, Arcella. So it's interesting that as the bus arrived, most of the campers, because they were just as awkward as we were, went straight to the rooms and settled in. They walk right past us with their luggage, but Arcella and her brother Nelly and her cousin Relinda, that's the three of them, that's Arcella on the left, her brother Nelly, and her 13-year-old cousin Relinda. They were just standing around, smiling, waiting for someone to say hi to them. And I'm like, why aren't you settling into your rooms? But you could see they were hungry to meet the folks from America. They were hungry for community. And so she was very polite. Her English was awesome, so we just started talking. And I got to know her and her brother and her cousin a little bit. It wasn't until much later in the camp that I learned her real story. And Charlotte alluded to it. But she comes from a town, a city called Berat, a beautiful city. It's a very, very Muslim-dominant city. And in much of Albania, the Islam is nominal. 
People are not practicing, they're just historically Muslim. But in Barat, they take it very seriously. So much so that other kids who came from that, that area would not eat any of the pork cutlets that were served at the meal. And so we had to find something alternative for them to eat. She became a Christian when she gave her life to the Lord at last year's camp. And in that one year since she became a Christ follower, she returned to that city and every one of her friends, including the closest friends she had in her friend group, her besties. And in Albania, I, I, I want you to appreciate this. Friends are more like cousins. You never really leave your hometown until you grow up and get a job. You are bound for life with these people. It's a, a depth of friendship that's really hard to fathom. And those friends all rejected her because she became a Christ follower. I hear stories about that, but it isn't until you meet someone and see on their face the emotional toll of that. And so she spent her first year being a new Christian with no Christian community at all. She was the only Christian she knew. There was no church in her city for her to be a part of. So once in a while, maybe every three or four months, she would get on a bus, ride two hours to city church to worship with Pastor Tony Minnelli's congregation, and she would soak it all in and go back home. And it would have to carry her for the next season of her life. And she got through her first year of being a Christian standing alone with God. And here's what she learned as she shared the testimony. She shared that God was enough to carry her faith and hold her, but he wasn't enough to meet some of the deep yearnings she still had for a family in Christ. And I'm so glad she could be honest about that because some people act like, oh, God was enough, I don't need people. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We need people. The only people who say that with any dogmatic certainty are people who've been hurt by people. But even if you've been hurt by people, we need people. God made us that way. And she was yearning for community. Pastor Peter Cho gave her Psalm 27 as she was sharing her story. If you read Psalm 27, you'll understand why he gave that psalm to her. She was so moved by it, she began to cry and then she showed that psalm to her brother and her cousin, and they began to weep as they realized this was her testimony for the whole year of waiting and waiting for God to show up. And God was there, but nobody else. And he called her to be brave and to stand firm and not give up. And she did. And she wrote a poem. And Pastor Peter and another Korean missionary who was there um, <coughs> named Amos, they worked with her and turned that poem into a song. I'm not going to play it in service, but I'm going to attach it as bonus material to the sermon recap email this week. It's a beautiful song. I've been listening to it on loop since I got back. And it just reminds me that God is enough to hold our faith together. But he's not enough to replace people because he made us for him and he made us for one another. And our Sela's story reminds me how important intimacy with God is because you cannot survive as a Christian without that. But it also showed me how important our intimacy with one another is. I think that was a real wake-up call to our youth team as well, because let's face it, we all complain about our church. We get triggered, we're annoyed. There are people who get on our last nerve and we're like, oh, my youth group, oh, my small group. And for good reason. We get discouraged by one another. But when you meet someone who has gone the first year of faith with no community, you begin to realize what a gift we're squandering if we don't lean into one another. You've got a lot of options. If you don't like the five you're with, there's 200 left. Go find someone. But we have so many people. There's no reason to walk alone in this life and in this church. If you're walking alone, it's not good for your spiritual health and it's not good for us because we need you too. I saw this girl survive one whole year and flourish in her faith. But I could see it too. As the camp was winding down, it was like a cloud was hanging over her head. You know that look of someone who, it's, she was like a flower starved of sunlight and she was soaking it in. There was not a moment where people were gathered that Arcella and her posse were not right there. They needed this so badly. They just needed other Christians. 
1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ. And towards the close of that teaching, Paul says this. This caring for one another, even for those who bring nothing to the table, even for those who we consider dishonorable, a a weight on us, a drag to have. People we're not proud to know. He says, in the church, in the body of Christ, as we embrace everyone around us, not just the people that we like, but the whole family of God. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. One part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. I know you might be busy, or you might be hurt, or you're just disinterested. I understand all those things. I've felt all those things. But I want you to know what a gift it is to have other people available to do this Christian life together with. And there are people holding on to their faith with no one else but God. I want you to consider what a gift he's given us and the other people at Harvest. Here's some good news. Our seller's brother, Nellie, came to Christ because of this camp. Yeah, it's okay to clap for that. And you could see the joy in his face and her face. For Arcella, the Christian population in her world just doubled. The sad news is still population too. But her brother became her brother in Christ. And literally Linda is on her way, man. You could see it. She's just one nudge away from turning her life over to Christ. And that family, I believe, will be the beginning of a gospel movement in that city. I see stories like that and I think I have never been given a good enough reason to complain about my church. I love you guys. You are my church family. He has given us one another. If we're not taking advantage of it, we are robbing ourselves. This is one of the great gifts that he's given us. And there's power in that intimacy with each other. Let me finish this way. I think what I appreciated the most about this trip was we didn't do weird stuff that we would never do back home. I've gone on mission trips where I've built houses. I don't build houses. I barely fix my own. And I'm up on rooftops hammering shingles. I'm like, what is this? But I thought to myself in all those previous occasions, I'm on mission, so I do weird stuff that I don't do in my life because I'm here. We would do puppet shows in the middle of large shopping malls. I remember asking one team, hey, guys, would you do this with me at Woodfield? And they're like, no. Can you guys imagine the horror, Albania team, if I brought you guys to Woodfield after church and we're like, let's do the black-pink dance in Woodfield? <laughs> no. <laughs> I rescind my faith, right? Like, that'd be too much. So... Missions for me was always go to other faraway places where you can't be embarrassed because you don't know anybody and just act weird and unnatural and say you did it and come home and then just be yourself again. That's what I thought missions was. This trip, there was nothing our team did that we could not do here or on vacation. We walked across the room and said hello to strangers. What's cool was our own Maddie Kim... uh, Alex and Olivia's daughter, who's a student at U of Michigan, she has her own podcast, and she released an episode about saying hello, talking to strangers. It couldn't have been more timely. I listened to that while I was in Albania. I was like, that's it right there. That's it. Just walk across the room. Here's a stranger waiting in line at the store. Say hello. You never know what he's going to do with that. And in her pockets, I'll send a link to that as well. If you listen to it, you'll be like, why don't we live like this? It's all stuff we can do here. You don't have to be on the other side of the world to act like God's ambassador. You can lead someone to Christ spiking a volleyball at them in a pool. Just that act of friendship, the joy, the laughter, a place of happiness for people whose lives back home are in many cases just a living hell. 
and to laugh together, to have uninterrupted joy with nobody disturbing them, distressing them. Even for those four days of uninterrupted happiness, God revealed himself to these people. At the end of the week, four souls turned their hearts over to Jesus forever. And he did it through swimming pool time and pizza time and conversation and uno games and just one heart talking to another and showing kindness and love without interruption. Why can't we do that right here? We can. And that's the good news we're carrying home is that missions doesn't have to be this weird activity we do in other places where no one knows us. But it's the way we live our lives now. You'd be amazed what he will do if you act like a missionary in your own home. That's enough said for me. I'm going to invite you to just pause for a second as the praise team comes up. I likely will not have three more lessons learned when I come back in a couple weeks, but I hope that these things which I saw God doing through our Albania team have spoken to you. And I'm going to ask you to open your heart right now just for a minute. Is God calling you not just to respond to what others get started, but have you seen something? And he's saying, I want you to be the one. Step out. Put out the word. Organize something. Make a first move. Maybe it's inclusion. Maybe you have the privilege of being on the inside of a circle. And there are other people outside looking in. And could it be your privilege to break that circle and open it up? And pull someone in so no one around us ever has to be on the outside looking in. Could it be that he wants to give you a fresh perspective on the people around you? Yes, they can annoy you. They're not perfect. But what would life be like if you were the only Christian you know? If you had to go a whole year with no one to speak God's love and truth to you? Is he calling you to embrace your church again? receive the gift of intimacy with your brothers and sisters. So I'm going to give you a minute in quiet to respond and receive that. Respond to it. And then I'll close this in a word of prayer and we'll sing. God, I want to thank you for a church that over 30 years has faithfully sent people and resources to this neighborhood, to our region, to the ends of the earth. Because of us, there are going to be people spending eternity with you. And so we thank you for that great privilege. And as we send and as we go, we pray that we would carry home a way of living that will make us such bearers of the good news and the love of God here as well. In our home and families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our church. Change the way we live with friends and family because of the experiences you give us. And whatever responses were made, whatever commitments of heart went up just now, Father, you have heard and you see all. Meet us where we are and help us to honor those commitments to you. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.